This is the Erasing Shame Podcast, Season 3. Honest talk for healthy living, growing, and thriving. Welcome, everyone, to Erasing Shame. We're actually on site today at San Diego State with Nellie. Um, Nellie, do you want to introduce yourself real quick? I know that you are mm-hmm. an assistant professor here at San Diego State, but mm-hmm. you do so much more as well. So just to our audience, you sure. want to just do a formal introduction? Sure. Um, so I am Nellie Tran. I'm an assistant professor here at San Diego State, as you said. I'm also the current vice president for the Asian American Psychological Association. Um, and I am the director of research and development at our clinic, which is in City Heights here, the Center for uh, Community Counseling and Engagement. Oh, wow. Awesome. So much good work. Um, And we haven't had a chance to connect too much over the past few years, but I've been seeing a lot of the work that you've been doing Mm -hmm. online, as well as you have some of the, um, you know, shared community that we work together with in the Asian American space. And so um, Mm -hmm. I'm happy to be able to delve into this a little further with you and really get into some of the the work that you've been doing for the past few years. So um, because you're a professor and we're at SDSU, Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be a good um, opportunity to talk about your experience here and then, you know, possibly mm-hmm. working with students and what it looks like to really be um, a voice in the Asian American community, specifically helping that generation. Yeah. Uh, and thank you so much for having me. It's, it's kind of really cool to have someone from my, my past come back and, uh, into my future. And, yeah. and it's so exciting to get to talk about my work here. Um, so I, I, I've been here for about five years now, um, as a professor here, but my journey here hasn't always gone in a, you know, the more traditional route. Um, and I know, so we went to high school together, but something that I, I didn't talk a lot about, um, growing up because I was quite ashamed, um, was that, um, I ended up not getting into college, Mm -hmm. you know, right out of high school, um, even though I had done everything I was told to do, you know, I, yeah. I was in all the clubs and I, um, I studied, I took my AP classes, like, um, you know, it wasn't, we, we didn't go to a bad school, but, um, things didn't, you know, go my way. And I ended up not getting into college that year for whatever reason. So I went to community college and it ended up being a blessing for me because, um, prior to that, I was really doing what everyone had, um, lined up for me. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted to kind of follow the traditional um, stereotypical Asian American route of being, becoming a doctor or a lawyer. Um, and it was at community college that I discovered um, how to um, have more balance in my life, right? Not mm-hmm. just be schooled, not just be hypervigilant to what folks wanted from me, but rather yeah. thinking about, you know, well, what do I want, you know, and what do I like? Um, and, and really learning about, um, I really liked to learn about why people are the way they are. Yep. Psychology um, so major. Psychology, <laughs> psychology landed yeah. in my lap. Um, it was also, you know, at Mesa College, I had my first Asian American professors there. Mm. Um, and then I transferred to UCLA where I, um, I, I happened to take women's studies. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time, I really thought that women's studies was just about women and that, oh, that's an easy class. Um, yeah it was my first time that I had learned anything social justice related Mm. and I felt like someone just opened a curtain and I was so angry that this was like a new way to look at my life. Yeah. And, um, I felt like someone hid it from me. And so I felt like that combined with wanting to learn about how people are the way they are, Mm. um, kind of led me to this, you know, went to grad school and now I, I have this really great privilege of working with, um, graduate students um, many of whom come from San Diego and come from communities that um, are really disadvantaged. And they're, they're here. So I teach for a program called the Community-Based Black Multicultural 
um, counseling program and we do social justice education as well. Mm. And really it's about um, helping our students to heal from wow. the traumas that they've been through so that they can go back to their own communities and be the healers for those that um, within their own communities. Mm. So I, it's just such a privilege to be with them in this journey. And also, you know, it's just not to be a professor kind of looking down on them, but really to be with them and hold their hand mm. um, while they learn what they've been through, un, you know, uncover it, um, deconstruct it, heal from it, and then move forward, you know. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to share a little bit of your story mm -hmm. in terms of how that came about and your healing journey? Sure. Um, so I am the daughter of Vietnamese refugees. I was born three months after my parents arrived here in San Diego. Mm -hmm. um, so I was born and raised in San Diego, um, but it has taken me my entire life to uncover, I think, a lot of intergenerational traumas that my family has endured. Um, my my parent, my mom lost her parents at a very young age during the war. Um, I just recently discovered new cousins um, that didn't know that I existed. And wow. so, yeah, it was this, this really Are interesting they from story. Here, they're, it, they're from Canada. Okay. Um, but one of my cousins from here um, went to uh, visit some cousins in Australia for the first time. And they happened to have Canadian cousin come a week afterwards. And so they were like, oh, you all know each other, right? Not knowing that we yeah. didn't know each other. Oh. So we just, I just met them for um, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And now we're planning to have a family reunion in Hawaii, we discovered is like maybe the middle point. Oh, that's fun. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of it for me has been like that I can talk about this and not cry, I think yeah. is a really big sign. Also being able to um, own the pieces that haven't been so pretty. Um, I had a lot of anti-Asianness growing up. Mm -hmm. um, I had a lot of Asian friends, um, but I, I, somewhere along the, along the road, I kind of learned that it wasn't acceptable to be with other people who shared similar experiences, but I, felt most comfortable there. Mm. Um, but even within my, um, my good friends, many, most of whom I'm not friends with anymore, I was still trying to find myself, you know, yeah. like I didn't really know who I was. I just knew that, um, I was trying to be what would be acceptable and what like would give me that sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And I think it's been really hard for me, um, to come into myself, um, to learn to love my Asianness and my heritage, and to see the parts of me that I don't like as not just parts of me, but rather also um, symptoms of a system that I live in. You know, mm -hmm. like that it's okay for me to feel comfortable around other Asian folks, right? It's yeah. okay for me um, to want, you know, it's okay for me that I, my name is Nellie and it's not Vietnamese and I don't have a Vietnamese name. That doesn't make me any less Vietnamese or Asian. Um, my Vietnamese sounds very Americanized, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that doesn't make me less Asian. Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, and to be able to stand up for myself in that way, right? Like if mm -hmm. someone's telling me that I'm not Asian enough, you know, um, yeah. or that I'm not, um, not enough of something it's taken mm -hmm. I still struggle with it I think yeah a lot to not feel ashamed of who I am and mm -hmm. who I'm trying to become 
Yeah. And I think we were talking about this before because we Mm -hmm. grew up in more of an upper middle class Mm -hmm. neighborhood where majority was Caucasian. Mm -hmm. I mean, there were Asian people there, but um, we were definitely a minority. And so now coming into our own adulthood and, you know, discovering more of who you are and how you need to be supported. I mean, this is where Mm -hmm. I think the importance of diversity comes into play and you're Mm -hmm. in academia and education and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. What is that message in terms of, um, you know, right now being shared on campus in terms of the importance of diversity and inclusion? Mm. Um, It's a difficult time, I think, on a lot of campuses. San Diego State um, tries its best to be an inclusive place. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are important concepts that we talk a lot about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important and uh, to our administration and to those who are here um, that we help everyone to feel included, to, to help everyone to feel as though they are, um, that the information, the education is accessible to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in a lot of my research, um, having classroom context that is inviting, that is inclusive, mm-hmm. means that we have to, that we have to reach for those who are typically not thought of, you know, mm-hmm. and um, I think a lot about, you know, uh, I, so we're a Hispanic serving institution, and I think we've come a long way where some of my students who speak Spanish feel more comfortable to, you know, if, if the words aren't coming to them, I often encourage them to just, well, just say it in Spanish, right? Yeah. Um, but I have found that I have a hard time doing that in Vietnamese. Mm. So every now and then I'll like go, oh, my mom, my mom says stuff like that. And they'll be like, what does she say? And I, it's, it's obvious to me that I've learned to not be Vietnamese at work mm. or at school. Mm-hmm. That when I'm at home with my family, the Vietnamese words, um, it's like this Vietnamese English combination. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, I have to explain to my, um, to other people that my English sounds different when I'm with my family. And <laughs> I know my friends would make fun of me that for that yeah. too. And my husband who um, is from, he's a white man from the mid- Midwest. Um, he, he, in the beginning, he was just like, you are speaking broken English. Isn't yes. that offensive? And I'm like, well, no, because it, it's just different. Like, it's not, I'm not. I'm speaking, like, this is how we speak to one another uh, in this context. Mm -hmm. And um, you don't use perfect vocabulary and perfect large vocabulary because Mm -hmm. that would not help to communicate. It's overcomplicated for them. Yes. It's unnecessary, right? Um, And so to really understand, and for me, it's like, well, yeah, you're you're understanding who your audience is and you're adjusting Mm because it's not about me. It's really about them understanding what I'm saying. Yes. I know. I used to yeah. have that same question because I had a boyfriend who was like Filipino Egyptian and then yeah. he'd be like, why are you speaking broken English when you speak to other Asians? It's so funny, but yes. that's a reality because, yes. you know, for them, it's like they can only learn so much sometimes mm-hmm. when our parents came from another country and they're still, yeah. you know, assimilating to American culture and English. So, yeah. And it's yeah. so hard because the more intellectual, right? Like I become and the more English language dominant I become, it feels like the less I'm able to tell my parents what I do. Mm-hmm. And I've always felt really bad about that Yeah, because in some ways it feels like, so that means as I like gain power, like in my profession and my work, mm-hmm. um, how do I help my family to be proud of where I've come, you know? And yeah. so I've had to, this, this is the only part that makes it really um, okay for me to, um, uh, be visible with like my um, awards and accolades and like, you know, things like this because they understand this. And mm. even though it's really hard for me to feel um, proud, I think, you know, like 
not feel embarrassed about doing things as I um, progress in my profession. Um, I know that it means a lot to them when they see my face and my name out there. And yeah. that, that is something that makes sense for them. So I'm trying really hard to reclaim my pride in my work and not feel ashamed because it's like lacking in humility, which is something I've been accused of before that, I, mm-hmm. you know, but it's that that's because folks don't understand. I, there, there are only so many ways that my parents will understand like my, um, and be proud of, and they deserve to feel proud of where I've come from. Um, and so it's like, everything I do is a little bit for them and you know what I mean? And, yeah. um, and I'm okay with that. And I feel like a lot of folks who don't understand, um, uh, collectivism culture mm-hmm. don't understand that it's a choice that I've made. I, yeah. I'm okay with, and I actually want my family to feel proud of me and to feel like everything I do in part is, um, with them, through them, uh, because of them. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and I think that's the part of it that I feel like when I can say that and claim truth in that, I feel good about who I am. I don't yeah. feel ashamed of my, my Vietnamese upbringing and the way that my family um, brought me up. I'm not being like dependent on them or not lack, you know, like it, mm. I'm not lacking maturity. Yeah. Um, that's actually me reclaiming myself. Exactly. Yeah. And I think there's a difference because when we are growing up and mm-hmm. we are doing it out of obligation, yeah. out of duty, responsibility, mm-hmm. and it was never our choice yeah. versus coming through on the other side and yeah. processing all of these things, which, you know, both you and me have been able to go through that journey. Mm-hmm. Then we're able to now come from a place of like, I want to give to this space. And like, this is mm-hmm. something I want to do because I want to versus I'm being expected to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard, right? Because we have different expectations and different cultures that we're dealing with on both sides, right? Like, yeah. so I feel like when you're um, an immigrant or have an immigrant, uh, come from an immigrant family, you, it's all, it's almost like you have your own, your home cultural upbringing. And then you have like the school cultural upbringing mm-hmm. or the dominant American upbringing um, that tends to be white middle class, but it's anything that is different, right? Yeah. That in order to be successful in that environment, you have to learn how to be that. Yes. And I think that's where, you know, when I think about the educational context, like it's harder to have to become something you're not to be successful. Mm. Right. And mm-hmm. so to, uh, for me in the, like when I'm teaching, it's kind of like, well, how can you be your whole self? But yes, you still have to learn this stuff and, and repeat it back on a test. Mm-hmm. But if it helps you to write your essay in Vietnamese first or to record it, saying it in Vietnamese first, and then do that. I don't. Your draft can be in whatever language you choose it to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in order for me to give you feedback, I need to understand it. Yeah. So there, that's our compromise, right? And yeah. um, I think that it's hard, right? It's hard because a lot of us are trying to figure out how to do both. And mm-hmm. a lot of us come from families where our fam- our parents can't teach us how to do it because they're doing it at the same time. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of ways, the shame that we all feel is the same and, and and we don't, but we don't have language to talk about it. Yeah. And like my dad and I um, more recently have been able to talk a little bit about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so rewarding to hear his thoughts on it, but how, why (laughs) he asked him like, why don't you tell me about things from the past? He was like, why it's sad, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, but it's, it's okay now, but we had to come there where we would have shared language yeah. and, and space, right? Like he's not stressed out about making sure I survive and, mm-hmm. and thrive. So, yeah. And then mm-hmm. kind of what you were talking about now discovering more relatives and, yeah. you know, different parts of your identity because they haven't been able to talk about it. Right. Mm-hmm. It makes it hard for us to really piece those together yeah. until they've also discovered and confronted it. And so 
in many ways, it feels like we're also having to do the work for them. And mm-hmm. so I'm like digging through other stories of like immigrant experiences yeah. and looking for podcasts and trying to find books and stories that actually have come to surface because a lot of them have not, you know, yet mm-hmm. taken that step. And so yeah. It's so important. Yeah. It's such a privilege too, right? That we've come to a place in our uh, family heritage and history that we can start, I don't know, I always think of it as like working towards enlightenment, you know, like yeah. we have food on the table now, we have a home we can live in, mm-hmm. so we can start working on um, healing from yes, our past. Exactly. And I don't know that our ancestors had that privilege mm-hmm. of, you know, they were worried about how am I going to stay alive? Yes. So, just the immigrant experience in general. Yeah. And I think yeah. a lot about like things that um, my family does now, like when I think about interge- intergenerational trauma, I think a lot about like, well, my, my family, like they come from a really poor upbringing Mm -hmm. so my mom comes from a farming family you know Mm -hmm. and so um what does it mean to when uh, I think a lot about you know food food's really important right and like (laughs) um that food is it is how they communicate love to us yes and it took me a lot no one taught me like I feel like if someone had told me that as a teenager that my mom would only would I would know to measure her love for me in the (laughs) amount of times that she cooked me my favorite meals that I would have um I just would have had a re- better relationship with her. Yeah. But I kept wanting her to like tell me she loved me. Mm. And I was like, why won't she tell me she loves me? Why does she keep cooking food? Yeah. And I'm, I'm not hungry. It's like the five love languages, right? Yes. Like food should be, food should should be one, one of them. them. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why so many of us um, have like, we bond over our foodiness, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like whenever I'm with another person who comes from a strong, food background mm-hmm. it's like if we go to the right restaurant then we have had like perfect bonding experience yeah and we can talk about the food and the flavors and it conjures all these like really loving warm mm-hmm. memories yeah and so now every time I you know if I'm in a bad mood and my mom was just like well I'll make you she makes really good um fried chicken okay and so I'm just like um so when she, when she cooks that, I'm just like, mm, you've been thinking about me. Like she knows, like, that's her like subtle way of saying, Aww. I know you've had a rough week, so let me make you something you like, Aww. you know. And um, I think that it makes me feel really good, yeah, to know that that's how she's communicating love, and it may it it allowed me to let go of needing to hear it in a in English, you know. Mm. It's like the Vietnamese way is. Through food, through food that takes a really long time to cook, long yeah. homemade, homemade, family mm-hmm. cooked, you know, recipes, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. that and learning to understand her indirect communication. Really yes, <laughs> yes, it's called triangulating, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, I need to communicate something to you, mom. But instead of telling you directly, I'm going to go ahead and tell aunt number three over there, <laughs> and then she's going to leak it over to my mom, and somehow mom will come back to me to yes. be like, hey, so I heard so-and-so say it. But this. that's because she loves you <laughs> and doesn't and wants you to save face, so she doesn't want to have to do it directly because that would be so shameful mm-hmm. to have. So she's just going to leak it through so that you can, you know. And avoid you, any confrontation. That's right. In case it doesn't because work Because she really loves you, and she doesn't <laughs> want you to hurt. And I, I think a lot about that when my mom will say things like, um, you know, a good daughter would um, bring her mother tea. Mm. And I'll be like, okay, mom, you want tea right now? <laughs> <laughs> like direct. Right? Yeah. I'm doing and she's just like, no, but a good daughter would, you know, and, <laughs> and I had to learn to speak her language, yes. right? Like, so her language is to ask directly is so shameful for her, mm. right? That, um, that she's actually trying to teach me um, but without making me feel bad, except yeah. in the U.S., 
when you're speaking indirectly, it feels like passive aggressiveness. Yes. And that, but that's not her culture. That's my culture. That's yes. my Americanness, right? Seeping in, and and I'm now translating her Vietnameseness in a completely mm-hmm. inaccurate way. Yeah. So once I'm able to slow the whole thing down and go, oh, she wants tea, but she doesn't speak English the way I do. So let me just go make her some tea. Yeah. And then I don't need to dwell on this. Mm-hmm. And as a teenager. I would dwell on those small interactions. Yeah. And then we, and so our relationship just got so bad because she was Mm. unwilling to do it my way and I was unwilling to do it her way. Mm. And it's like, well, neither one of us has to do it the other person's way, but we need to have compassion and empathy for why it needs to be done that way. Yeah. So, so let's just say somebody hasn't made it to the other side yet. <laughs> like what are some good tips or tools uh-huh. to be able to get to that point? Yes. So slowing it down. And I think that it's a really hard ask, right? So to be able to really slow it down and to think about, well, what, what, is, what are you feeling right now? And to name it. So I think a lot about mindfulness practices that come out of Vietnam um, and to think about, okay, so Right now, I'm feeling like this is an aggressive behavior. Like, why can't you just ask me? I feel like she's shaming me for not mm. doing something bad, right? And I think a lot of um, a lot of people here in the U.S. would say, like, you need to name it with the other person. And I think that that's where we need to think about cultural differences. If I name it in that moment and tell my mom that she's made me feel this way, now I'm blaming her mm. for how I feel. And how I feel is not because of her. It's actually because of me being in America. And and this is uh, the individualism that I've learned here. Mm. A a lot of which she taught me to be hypervigilant to the US context so that I could be successful, right? Mm. And to think about uh, and to do the empathic thing, which is to put myself in her shoes, right? So I've been um, uh, with one of my colleagues here, Coco Nishi, we've been developing um, workshops around how to identify intergenerational traumas um, in your upbringing. And so to think about like, okay, so what is getting in the way of my relationship with my mother right now? Okay, so she can't speak directly to me and it's annoying me. Um, <laughs> but where does that come from, right? So where, what in her upbringing led her to be this way, Yeah. right? And then to think about, okay, well, what was the um, reason why she had to be that way? Um, that, did she, she had to be that way because um, that's what the culture asked of her, mm-hmm. right? You couldn't speak directly to someone because that would be so shaming, right? Mm-hmm. And really it's about creating context where it was okay to um, mess up because I'm supposed to be teaching, you know, so if we're in a family together, when you do something shameful and I call you out on it, mm-hmm. it's because that's my responsibility because it's sp- because we are a collective, right? We are in this together, when I call you out on something, I'm basically saying that let's distribute that shame across our entire family. Mm. So it's not your fault, just this much, right? Yes. It's not all your fault. Oh. But when we mix that with like U.S. context individualism, we're mixing it with um, you represent you and only you at any given moment, mm. right? And so if you're going to get called out um, for being shameful or bringing shame to your family, then you internalize it because it's all about you. You did something wrong. Mm. Um, but what we need to learn is that actually in collectivistic communities and cultures, what I'm saying is you're one of you're one of us. You're yes. one of, I am going to bear this burden with you. Mm-hmm. And I want to bear this burden with you. And to learn to hear our families as saying, you are one, like you, you belong, like we belong together, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is a unit. So yeah, when you do something, it looks bad on me. But that means 
the reverse is also true. Yes. And I don't think that we um, have that. We don't really mm. have that connection piece. Yeah. And I think a lot of us in our generation now um, and, and, you know, immigrants and second gen, like we're losing a sense of connection with one another mm-hmm. because we don't have the community that we long for, mm. but we also don't necessarily know how to get it because we're being taught how to do it in a way that doesn't feel like it fits naturally with yeah. our, gen- you know, with our upbringing. Yeah. Um, and I've definitely yeah. felt that I, I shared. Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, coming into environments that were not, you know, majority Asian, which mm-hmm. most of the world isn't, yeah. um, but coming from, you know, high school that did have more diversity and Southeast Asians, particularly mm-hmm. because of our neighborhoods did have a lot of refugee communities mm-hmm. um, in the area that I grew up with you, which yeah. was more upper middle class. I mean, definitely that was more of a minority experience. Yeah. But um, in my latter years growing up more in this area near College Avenue, City Heights, which is mm-hmm. a very predominant refugee community mm-hmm. um, coming from different experiences and stuff like that yeah. and knowing you know what feels right and then when you step into spaces that you don't really feel like you fully belong mm-hmm. and it has the awkwardness and you can't really fully be yourself mm-hmm. um, what are some things that you've learned that have worked for you being able to transition between different spaces oh that that is the problem of my life <laughs> Um, I think it's a really tough question, you know, like, how do you be your whole self in different spaces? Because I think a lot of us, especially when we come from backgrounds um, that are more, uh, you know, where we've been kind of in the minority, where we're trying to like, get ahead in life, you know, Mm -hmm. that we've been taught that we have to do things differently when we get to that space, right? Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of um, it's like, leave your culture at home and be successful. Right. Yeah. Like it's, and that's hard. Like speak your Vietnamese at home, speak English at school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I, I think a lot about if I could be my whole self in a, at work, for example, imagine how powerful I could be. Right. Like yeah. I would have access to my whole brain, my whole self mm-hmm. instead of just part of me. Yes. And I don't know that I figured out how to do that, but I think a lot about, well, who, when I, when I make decisions, about who I'm going to be, I think about, well, who am I trying to please? And if I can slow, and it's easier for me to have a friend do this for me. So this is where I think the community helps me a lot. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to do it in myself because I'm dealing with the situation. So a lot of times I'm just struggling to deal with the emotions that come with yeah. um, decision-making and being in difficult um, moments. But if I have people I trust around me Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking for those people in my crises. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, then they can help to see um, parts of me, right? Mm-hmm. And am I doing something because I want someone to like me, or am I doing it because it actually aligns with one of my core values? Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's if we can slow it down to that question, right? Yeah. Who are you? Why are you doing this? Who are you trying to please? Mm. And what parts of you are being um, triggered right now, right? Like mm-hmm. so. Um, uh, obviously, I teach in a housing program, so um, I believe in therapy, and I, I think that having a lifelong therapist uh, and being in lifelong therapy is a really good way of making sure that when thing when you're uh, making decisions that you're not driven by your own personal craziness. Right? <laughs> what does that mean, craziness? <laughs> um, so in our program, we talk a lot about you know we all have things. Uh, sometimes I call it our heroic flaw, right? Like it's our uh, in literature, it's like it's the quality that is both your biggest asset but it's so great that it becomes your, your flaw as well. Mm -hmm. So imagine someone who um, is really funny, but they're like funny to a fault. Mm. And so they make jokes at the funeral. Mm. It's kind of like, well, you're a really funny person, but this is the wrong place for it. Right. Okay. So, um, 
So knowing, knowing how to hone it basically. Yes. And knowing that it gets you in trouble, right? Uh So I, um, I tend to be a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. And so it's great in some areas, but that also means that I think I'm capable of doing things perfectly. So I overdo it, Mm -hmm. right? I, I, I overwork, I overfunction. I have really exceptionally high expectations of myself, which means I am constantly feeling less than Mm -hmm. Because I didn't meet this imaginary standard that is impossible to reach, mm-hmm. right? And so to know that, what that does is that creates a lot of anxiety for me. Yes, right. Like so, um, I never. Uh, so I have a perpetual way of feeling like I'm not a good enough friend, mm-hmm. I'm not a good enough mother or partner or teacher, and that if you, when I receive criticism, I tend to take it personally. Mm-hmm. So if I know that about myself, then I know that. I have to be in a really good place before I can go, hey, give me feedback about this podcast, right? Did I do an okay job? Mm. I feel like I talk too much. Did I talk too much? (laughs) And then, um, and make it possible for people to be real with me, Mm -hmm. you know? And I I think that that's the best that we can ask of ourselves is Mm -hmm. self-awareness, slow things down and forgive ourselves. Yeah. We're all just trying to do our best. Mm Mm-hmm. And we're going to make a lot of mistakes because we are human and humans are imperfect. Yes. And, but a lot of us have gotten ourselves, we have tricked ourselves into thinking that perfection is not only possible, but necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a dangerous game to play. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that has the word should. Yeah. Right. Or never. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Those are words that really kind of put us in a box. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I really liked what you said about the shame is meant to be dispersed. And so as Mm -hmm. we are going from, more of a collective culture with our upbringing, our family values, mm-hmm. into more of an individualistic culture in terms mm-hmm. of the immigrant experience from, you know, now we're second generation. Mm-hmm. Um, can you highlight that a little bit more? What does mm-hmm. that mean for you when you say like dispersing the shame? Because for mm-hmm. me, what I think about is, you know, I've had moments where there's family hardships and then we talk about it at the table. And let's just say, for example, I went to college and I was going to fund my college education by mm-hmm. myself because at that moment I didn't have, um, you know, parental support because I chose to go away for college mm. versus staying local. Yes. And then my family was like, well, no, like we're all going to chip in and, you know, like I'll yeah. work five extra hours a week just to, you know, be able to contribute extra money to, mm-hmm. you know, your college education because they're almost like taking yeah. ownership of my success. But I feel like it's almost the reverse of it is what you're saying. Um, when it's also shame, when it's something mm-hmm. like you've done something bad, do they take right mm-hmm. that burden as yes. well? And therefore the shame goes from you to part yeah. of them, right? Yeah. So both and, right? Mm-hmm. Like this happens both in the positive and the negative. And sometimes I think uh, for a lot of our generation, um, I think it is hard when we want, when we see our family trying to take credit for something that we, <laughs> we feel as though they didn't, like I, you didn't come to my classes, right? Yes. Um, but that's exactly right. It happens in both directions, right? Mm-hmm. If we want them to share in the, we have to let them share in all the moments of our life because mm-hmm. they see themselves as truly like a part of all aspects of our life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that I don't think that we talk enough about how that dispersion of shame literally is 
I want you to be a good person because, you know, like it's my responsibility. I share in the responsibility of putting you through college, mm-hmm. right? So there's like financial, if you think about it as different circles of responsibility, right? Yeah. That you are a good person looks good on, it's not just like it makes me look good mm-hmm. in like a, you are your own person and then I am my own person. Mm-hmm. I think of it as, you got to think of it as a, um, a bubble around both of us. <laughs> right that the whole like family unit yeah okay at least right yeah. and a lot of overlapping bubbles uh-huh. that when something happens to you it doesn't just happen to you it happens to me too and I sometimes I, I, with my mom now with our son something bad will happen to him and I'm just like why are you overreacting right <laughs> um but it, it it hurts her too yeah. and that's where she you know it it is a part of her mm-hmm. right she sees us as all interconnected and I think a lot about like you know, when they do ancestor worshiping, right? Like it's like, Mm -hmm. because we are all still connected. We are all looking after each other, wishing well for each other. We all pray for each other. Mm -hmm. Things are happening to us as a unit, not to us as individuals, Mm -hmm. but it feels like it's an individual thing. And again, I I I take this back to, it's it's also like a sense of control thing. Mm -hmm. In an individualistic culture, it feels good to have control over our own destiny and myself. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it really uncomfortable to, to think that my family has control over me or that I am not making decisions for myself because I'm being influenced by my family. Yeah. And I think that there's something about accepting that, mm. right? And um, I've had so many therapists try to tell me that like, well, what do you want? I was like, well, I want my family to be with me. Like, <laughs> I have, like is that not okay? Yeah. Right? Isn't it okay for me to want to be in community with my family and it, it, that it's not pathological? Mm-hmm. Um, it is cultural. Yeah. Um, so you're saying we can have both. We, I think we can, I like to use the yes and yes, yes. that we can have both. We can share our successes. Mm-hmm. We can also be proud of our individual contributions mm-hmm. and we can, um, we can feel ashamed. Um, I know there's a lot of language around like, you know, shame is not a good thing, but it's like, but I also don't think that you can erase it completely, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, it has its purpose. It's ha- right. It has a function, and so long as it doesn't become dysfunctional, yeah. Um, then I think we can reclaim it too, right? I'd like to believe that we can make things um, functional. It doesn't have to have power over us. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's another situation where it's all about trying to come back into community and figure out how to be okay with who we are today mm-hmm. and make room for who we want to be tomorrow without feeling guilty or bad about like, mm. well, maybe tomorrow I'm going to be a really tired version of myself. Yeah. So let's just say right now yeah. you work with the college age community, mm. right? That's your primary audience yeah. for a lot of them that are going through this journey and they haven't mm. yet processed a lot of the same things that we're talking about yeah. yet, right? What advice do you give them or mm. what, what do you see happening in this season of their life where they're trying to figure out their futures in college, um, you know, career plans, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I think again, it's really important for them to not do it alone, Mm. right? That um, they don't need to do this alone, that whatever decisions they make, they can do it in community with others. They can do it with friends Mm -hmm. um, and to, to not isolate themselves if what they're longing for is to be in connection with people and to take risks Mm -hmm. to go out and meet friends to do that. Um, I also think it's really important for them to remember that the decisions that they make in college, while I would like to believe they're important, are not the be all end all. <laughs> yes. It is okay to change your major. I changed my major. I changed my schools. Mm-hmm. Um, career. <laughs> yeah, your career is not destined to be, you know, whatever. Like, 
it's okay to make decisions in college that don't last a lifetime. It's okay to make decisions that last a lifetime, that each of us has a path and a journey. Um, and, you know, to the extent possible, be intentional about how you use that time um, and don't do it alone. Mm-hmm. Consult, use your resources. I think a lot of um, young people forget that they are the um, customer here, uh-huh. right? And that um, some professors may not enjoy that analogy, but I think that this experience is really what they want to make of it. Mm-hmm. And um, to go find the experiences that they're looking for, study abroad, join a club. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a faculty advisor to the Asian Pacific Student Alliance here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have lots of ways of creating community amongst themselves and uh, leadership opportunities. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, there's famous um, YouTubers that they really like. So they invite them once a year to, oh, to cool. come perform on campus. So the experience is what you, you want to make of it. Yeah. And I think knowing that you can ha- that you have the power to craft an experience mm-hmm. um, that you want. Mm-hmm. And it's just college. Yeah. It's just college. Okay, I'm going to ask yeah. one question. Okay. Can you highlight it a little bit? But in college, there's mm-hmm. a lot of dating that happens, right? Yes. So because we live in such a diverse world now, mm-hmm. in terms of learning how to do that successfully, is there any good advice? Mm-hmm. Because you're around a lot of it, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> and we've connected about this too. Yeah, Dating as an Asian American female. Yeah, so. yeah I, I think it's, for me, it's just another type of relationship, right? Mm-hmm. That I think is a really important and, and potentially fun relationship. Yes. Right? And I think... It's what what is really important for um, around this topic. I think is that um, you are looking for someone that uh, feels co- that you feel comfortable with, right? And again, it's like you got to check your crazy a little bit, right? <laughs> um, uh, there, are, people will talk about. Well, I was just talking to my partner about this, but it's like um, there's the people. If you talk about like your ideal partner, mm-hmm. right? But then you look at who you're dating, and a lot a lot of times the, your ideal partner on paper and then who you date, like there's no alignment. Mm. And so it's kind of like, well, why is there no alignment? It's because, well, is it the case that you wish you had a loyal partner, mm-hmm. but loyalty is really boring. Yes. And so you tend to date people who are more exciting, but there tends to be more risk in terms of loyalty. Mm. And if that's the case, then how do you need to shift to align your value? And this is true across yeah. life, right? How do you align your behaviors with your values mm. or start accepting what um loving excitement and you know passion and all that what does that come with it and so therefore yeah how do you need to adjust it i also think that um you know uh on diverse campuses now interracial dating is a, a big thing i'm mm-hmm. in an interracial marriage myself mm-hmm. um and it it you know it, it's a difficult racial climate right now and i think that the more folks can again slow down and talk about um space you know like sometimes my partner and I will get into arguments and um, what I'm actually upset about is that there's no space for my pain to be heard. Mm. Um, and so the concepts of re- in relationships are similar, right? Except when we, when we start putting racial terms on things, um, it does heighten our anxiety levels and our fears. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a lot of fear right now that we aren't talking about fear that I'm not important. Mm-hmm. Right. That when I say something is painful for me, the other person says, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, well, but I'm still hurting. Do you care that I'm hurting? And I think mm-hmm. that that's the, at the core of it is yes. that it's the, there's the racial piece of it, which, you know, we can take a class and learn about the intellectualizing of that. 
Um, and and that, that's important. But there's also just the human part where it's like, well, I just said I'm hurting. Do you care that I'm hurt, that I hurt? Mm. And if you separate those two, it's kind of like, well, yeah, you're a human being and I care about you. When you hurt, I hurt. Mm. Then, then it's like, okay, well, the thing that is causing me pain right now, whether it's right or wrong, that's a different conversation. Mm-hmm. But I'm in pain. And can we triage and like deal with pain <laughs> right now? Yeah. Right? Stop the bleeding. Yeah. Can have an intellectual conversation later. later. And uh, a lot of the program that I'm, um, what we do now in my program is focus on the emotions first. Mm-hmm. So we're triaging, right? Yeah. Feelings first, people first. We can intellectualize and debate the heck out of like <laughs> what's right and wrong yeah. later. Mm-hmm. Um, all of it is important conversation, but when they happen all at the same time, okay. there's no way a date yeah. and, 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 you know, the basic rules around like what conversations you should have on a first date. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's no the, controversy. <laughs> well, I think if you're going to do, if, if those are really, really core to who mm-hmm. you are and you know, there's no point in having a second date yes. without it. Well, yeah, go ahead and write that on your uh, profile, you know, your dating profile. And like now everyone knows. But again, know that that what you're doing is putting boundaries around who you can love. Yeah. Um, and maybe you need to give yourself permission to do that right now mm-hmm. and then allow yourself the possibility of opening up later. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we just have to forgive ourselves for where we are today. Mm-hmm. You know? So what are some ways to open up a conversation mm-hmm. like that, though, so that there mm-hmm. is safe space? And yeah. I'll probably you know, try to wrap it up with that, but yeah, sure. because it's easy for us to talk about it, but mm-hmm. when someone's in that position with all these feelings, mm-hmm. right, what does that look like in terms of tangible steps? Yeah. Um, it's really the step that I have found that works really well is again, to focus on yourself and how you're feeling. Um, and a really simple, like, ouch, that kind of hurt, yeah. um, is a really good way of, um, it, of standing up for I'm hurt. What are you going to do about that? Or, and again, to ask lots of questions, to be really genuinely curious about other people's position, right? To be like, well, what do you, what did you hear me say? You know, like, or to say like, I'm kind of feeling hurt right now. Um, Tell me more about why you feel that way or Mm -hmm. how, like, did did it make you feel, how did it make you feel when I said that? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I find that, People who are hurt themselves are the ones who end up hurting other people, Mm -hmm. right? And so when we are well enough and and capable of it to be able to create space for other people Mm -hmm. to share their pain, and if they can do that, Mm -hmm. then, um, and see that their pain is also valuable, acknowledge it, um, that there's space for it too, then perhaps they can have space for you. Now, Mm -hmm. if you're in a relationship and it's always one direction, that's a that's a bad sign, yeah, right? That's not a match. So right. So so I think that the, the caveat is that um, you can be your best self, and someone could still be in too much pain, and it's not your responsibility to heal the other person. You are not a therapist to your partner. Yeah. Right. So it's it's more about human connection, and if the person is in so, so much need of it that they are ne- never able to connect with you, you can connect to their emotions, but they can't connect to yours. Yeah. Right. That one way street is not a very healthy one. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Oh, such good stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I think our time is up right now, but mm-hmm. I did want to leave the audience with opportunities in case they want to connect with you further, because I know we can mm-hmm. go on for days talking about yes. all this stuff, um, but you're involved in such great work. And so if people did want to reach you, um, mm-hmm. what would be some good places to connect with you? Um, so people can certainly email me. It's um, ntran at sdsu.edu. I'm also um, very involved with the Asian American Psych Association. Um, our convention is out in uh, here at San Diego State in Yay. October, so I hope that you all come out mm-hmm. um, for that event but we also have a lot of resources um, on our website we also have a Facebook page and a listserv um, if folks are looking for a therapist we also have a referral board mm. um, so folks who um, are members in our association um, so those are all good ways to to, to find me yeah, yeah awesome so I think that's it guys and um, that wraps up today's episode of Erasing Shame. Uh, Definitely get connected with Nellie. Uh, She's doing great work here in San Diego as well as nationally across um, all the states here. And so we will find you next time on Erasing Shame. We are Erasing Shame one story at a time. Thank you for being a part of Erasing Shame. Please rate and review on iTunes, subscribe on YouTube, and like on Facebook. Share with your friends and followers. Together, we are Erasing Shame, one story at a time. Get all the details at ErasingShame.com.